As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Something's Not Right. I'm Olivia. And I'm Tashana. And we are a podcast about uh, stuff that's not right. Yep. Yep. That's what we do. Before we get started, I would like to say if you enjoy our show and would like to help us offset research and production costs, please consider becoming a Something's Not Right Patreon subscriber. Among the perks to donors at all levels are bonus episodes and stickers. We have a lot of fun in those bonus episodes. Lots of it. Tons. We also have a PayPal account if you'd rather just do a one-time donation. And for links to both the PayPal and Patreon, you can visit notrightpodcast.net and click the Support Us tab. I got one more piece of business before we get started here. Some business. Business. Halloween is coming. Coming up fast. It's my favorite time of the year. I'm excited. I'm mostly excited for cooler weather. Um, but I am also excited for you, the listeners, to send us your stories of uh, paranormal experiences you've had. I don't want uh, urban legends. I want your experiences. Yep. The and same. And don't feel like you're sending us too much if you have more than one, because here's the deal. The more you send, the less work we have to do. And uh, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed at the moment. And uh, so I'd love for you to do my work for me. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. We and get, we just love reading them. Yeah. They're they're fascinating. So, yeah, cut us a break. Send us your stories. You can go to notrightpodcast.net slash contact, and there's a little form there you can fill out and put your story in there. And you can say if you want it to be anonymous, that's fine. And we don't collect and save your information. I mean, we might email you back if we got a question like, do you want us to say your last name? But we're not selling your shit to Russia or what have you. Unless you make us mad. And then all bets are off. 
Well, would you like to hear a story of murder? I would. I tried to say it in a sinister way, and it just didn't come out. I'm not. I'm not good with voices. Murder. <laughs> Murder. Okay, well, I started working on this story more than a year ago. I mean, it was like around the time we first started. My mom suggested it to me way back when we got started. And so I just got overwhelmed with the way I was researching it. I was just really kind of, if you can say this is a thing, overdoing it with the research. And I had a put it down and move on to something else but I've wanted to do it ever since then and so I'm gonna do it now and just as a side note when I get to the very end I um I'd like for you to remind me to tell you and the listeners about uh what my grandfather used to call the person involved in this Oh, okay. He, he had a name. And I don't know, maybe it's only going to be funny to people who knew him, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So our story begins, not really, but kind of, in 1932. And W. Haney Gurley, I think it's pronounced Gurley. It's spelled G-O-U-R-L-E-Y. So if I got it wrong, I'm sorry, but I've always heard it pronounced girly, so that's where we're going. I think I know who this is, and I think you're correct. I bet you've heard a little bit of this story. Mm -hmm. So in 1932, W. Haney Gurley founded Capital Chevrolet Yep. <laughs> at 510 Broadway in Nashville, so downtown. Uh, originally, I caught it in a newspaper article as 500 Broadway, which I think is where the arena is for the Predators now, but then elsewhere I got 510, so in that in that block. When his partner passed away in the early 50s, Gurley took over as full owner, and he ended up turning it into one of Nashville's biggest auto dealerships. Good for him. Mm -hmm. That's great. Do great work. Oh, and you know what? I read an article. I was already done writing this up, but I read an article from a few months ago um, where his son said that he only had a sixth grade education. So, you know, way to go on um, taking that and making something with yourself, I guess. I'm just talking. No, I mean, <laughs> that is, I feel like that happened a lot, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, what are you going to do? You got to. Well, a lot of people something. had to stop going to school to help support their families. Yeah, that's true. Back then. Over the years, Gurley served as president of the Nashville Automobile Trade Association and VP of the Tennessee Automotive Association. Mm -hmm. He was on the board of deacons at Vine Street Christian Church, where he was a member, along with his wife, Josephine. The Gurleys had two children. Um, they had a son, Bill Gurley Jr., who went by Billy, and so that's what we'll be calling him the rest of the time here. And a daughter, Joanne, later Joanne Bainbridge. William E. Powell, this is a new guy, he began as general manager at Capital Chevrolet in 1965, but was named executive vice president just a year later. He owned a 25% stake in the dealership and had co-signed the long lease on the new headquarters at 
610 Murfreesboro Road. Powell, originally from Little Rock, Arkansas, graduated from Vanderbilt University, where he had been the starting center on the successful 1948 football team, the Commodores. Woo. Uh, <laughs> did, could you sense my enthusiasm there? He also lettered in track. During his earlier career, he had worked at Palmer Hooper Motor Company and Hippodrome Oldsmobile. Mm, I know. They're a big deal, too. Yeah, there are a lot of names that uh, I remember from commercials in the 80s that came up in my research on this. He served on the board of directors at the Vanderbilt of the Vanderbilt Club. I don't know what that is, but he was he was in it. He was on the board of the Nashville Automobile Trade Association and the board of control of the Nashville Exchange Club. The board of control. Mm. That sounds sinister. I'm sorry. You may have just heard my stomach. If, if I did, I'll cut it out. <laughs> <clears throat> Powell was a deacon at First Presbyterian Church and had a family of his own. He had a wife, Helen. And children, Mary Helen and Bill Powell Jr. So now we're in May 1968, because I like to time travel. Mm-hmm. You know, I like Doctor Who and what have you. Bill and Ted. So, and Bill and Ted, yes, which is basically, I mean, they have a TARDIS, right? I mean, in theory, yeah. I mean, it's a phone booth. That's right. So so we are taking the Bill and Ted phone booth slash TARDIS to May 1968, and Capital Chevrolet was very successful. They were doing great over there. They had just built that new building on Murfreesboro Road, and they were a big deal, and they were making tons of money. And it appeared that Powell would be the one to take over the dealership if Gurley were to pass away. However, Gurley soon decided he wanted to buy back Powell's 25% share in the company. And here's where things are going to start to get a little bit confusing. Billy Gurley, the son, he was now 24 and was being trained in the business with the ultimate goal of basically taking over and keeping the dealership in the family. In spite of this, the Gurleys and the Powells seemed to maintain a friendship at that time. And on May 22nd, 1968, they gave Powell a call. It was at like 1030 at night, which seems a little weird, but I gave him a call and said, come over, we want to talk. And so Powell came over to Gurley's Bellmead home to talk about buying, getting, you know, Gurley buying him out. Gurley explained that his son wanted to be an officer in the company, but was scared because Billy believed that Powell didn't want that. Okay. Yeah, this is this is the weird and confusing stuff. When Gurley asked his executive vice president what it would take to make the deal, his wife Josephine Gurley claimed that Powell turned to their son and asked Billy if he was physically afraid of him. Which, whoa. Yeah, what? <laughs> How old was the son at this point? 24. Oh, okay. And Powell was 40, I believe. Okay. So Billy told him he wasn't, but he was scared that Powell didn't want him to be an officer in the company. And Powell told Billy basically that he needed to get thick skin. Actually, he said the skin of an elephant. Uh oh. 
Billy didn't say anything, and his dad stepped in and said that his son had a big interest in the business, to which Powell responded, well, he doesn't have any more interest than I do. Mm. Tense. People are saying words, getting heated. Words are being said. After a little more discussion, word saying, if you will, (laughs) Powell said, it looks like there's nothing left but for me to get out. So I don't know. That escalated because it, yeah, it just, I don't know. Gurley said to Powell, go out friends. And of course your payment for the company monetary value will be the same. Gurley said they would work out a price and that he'd help Powell to get another dealership of his own. And so things seemed fine when Powell left, and Gurley was really happy with how the exchange had gone. I still think it was kind of weird. But it seems awkward, for sure. On May 24th, 1968, so it was just a couple days later, at approximately 11 a.m., Gurley and 40-year-old Powell headed out to lunch from the dealership headquarters. Shortly thereafter, things went wrong. Uh-oh. Something wasn't right. <sighs> mm-hmm. Got to work it I, in. I did it. You did. According to Powell, at an intersection, an African American man with a thirty-eight jumped into the back seat and demanded money. Gurley didn't resist and told the gunman he could have everything he had, which good for him. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Gurley reached for his wallet, and the man yelled at him not to pull his gun, and then started shooting wildly. That's in quotation marks here. I guess that's maybe the account that Powell gave. Powell told a friend at some point after that that he tried to hit the gunman at that time, and that's when he ended up getting shot in the left calf. Powell told the friend that he didn't know how many shots had been fired and didn't remember much, but he was able to drive the car back to the Capitol Chevrolet Service Department um, and in that time, he made the sharp turn and Gurley actually fell to the floorboard. Oh, God. Yeah. Gurley had been shot once in the right ear and twice in the neck and was dead on arrival when he was later taken to General Hospital. He was 72. The murder was such big news that the Nashville Banner, the other daily paper at the time, ran an extra edition which is not something they had done since JFK's assassination in 1963. Wow. So this is, you know, five years. They don't do that. And this one, it was big. Both Governor Buford Ellington and Mayor Beverly Briley issued statements on the loss of Gurley. Gurley's wallet was found in the car, and the spot that was made to hold the bills was empty. But there were two $100 bills in there between some ID cards. And according to police, Powell's wallet was missing, which okay, is sort of interesting. One of the first things authorities looked for was the gun that was used in the attack, which they felt the shooter would have probably ditched relatively close to the crime scene. Early on, they searched the nearby Greenwood Cemetery at Elm Hill Pike and Spence Lane for the murder weapon because they felt the gunman might have hidden it there, but it didn't turn up. And here's where I'm going to go off on a tangent because I love cemeteries. It's true. They're a great place. So 
if you look up Greenwood Cemetery on Google Earth, you'll know it's it's interesting. Like if you're in the satellite view, you'll notice a large green mass that's surrounded by industrial buildings. So it's a pretty industrial area. What you're actually looking at there is three different cemeteries. And the largest of these is Mount Olivet, which mm-hmm. is the most, to me, the most visually interesting cemetery in town. And I love it. If you like wandering around those kind of places like I do, that's that's the one here in town. But go to Paris because those are better. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know about Paris, Tennessee. I'm thinking of, you know, France. Sure. So anyway, not all of it's the oldest of the three cemeteries having been established in 1856. And you can find a lot of famous people there. There's, mm-hmm. um, you know, Captain Ryman, George Dickel, country music people I'm not even thinking of, um, and Marsha Trimble, if we're going for true crime. Marsha Trimble, who I don't know if we'll ever do that case. I don't really want to. Yeah, it's, that's a... It's a lot. Yeah. And it's been done. Yeah. But maybe I'll change my mind. So, yeah, that cemetery is is a whole big thing. We highly recommend it. Yeah. That you crypt cruise. Yes, crypt cruising. How did I not bring crypt cruising into know, this man. earlier? Like. Listen, still need to get a shirt. Y'all, we have crypt cruising shirts, crypt and you, cruiser shirts. And if available. you want to declare that you are. A crypt cruiser. It's the best way to do it. Yeah. And if you don't know what we're referring to, you need to Listen go back. Listen to our show, yeah. <laughs> but if you're really new to us, just stick with some newer episodes for a while because we sound better. Ah, anyway. <sighs> Where was I? Okay. Um, they were checking out the cemetery because they suspected that the murder weapon had been thrown Oh, there. yeah, but I'm not back to our real story. Oh, okay. I'm still on my cemetery tangent. Sure. So directly next to Mount Olivet is Calvary Cemetery, mm-hmm. which is also pretty big. It's a Catholic cemetery established by the Diocese of Nashville in 1868, so just a little bit older than, or a little bit younger than Mount Olivet. It's hard to tell that these two are separate burial grounds because one just, like, flows directly into the next and it's not separated by any kind of a wall. They do have separate entrances on Lebanon Road and there's no connection by which you can go between them in a car. But otherwise, they're seamless, like if you're on foot. So those are cool places to explore. But what I didn't know about when I first got into taking strolls through these cemeteries is that there is a third, smaller burial ground over there. And it's separated by a tree line and railroad tracks at the back corner of Mount Olivet. And that's Greenwood Cemetery. And it was founded for Nashville's African-American community in 1888. Mm Mm-hmm. The first time I visited, I was surprised at how close it was to the others. I mean, I I hadn't even seen it before it, because it's it's separated by the trees and the railroad tracks there. But it wasn't like I looked it up on a map. 
And the but if you do, if you look at it like on Google Maps, it all looks like part of the same chunk of land. Like that's just a corner cut out of it. It's it's very unusual. I'll include a screenshot of the satellite view on the blog or the show notes in case anyone is interested in seeing it. Uh, Nashville cemeteries may warrant their own episode from us. That'd be a good one, actually. Love it. Why don't I get back to the reason why we're here? Back to the gun. (laughs) We're here for the gun. Oh, God. Ballistics tests indicated that the bullets that killed Gurley came from a new or slightly used weapon. And a whole bunch of searching was done for this weapon, and no gun was found, at least not at that immediate time. Why did they think that it was in the cemetery? I think that just if you see where they were on a map, I mean, they were practically right across the street from it, maybe. Sure. Which I'm going to get to kind of the confusion on their location in a second here, too. But they were, no matter where they were, they were really close to that cemetery. And I guess they just thought that'd be, if somebody was trying to hide, they could, yeah, run through a cemetery. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. Day to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But there's also considerable confusion about where this crime actually happened. Elm Hill Pike is consistently a part of every account, but the cross streets differ from story to story. And in his initial account, Powell said the man jumped into the car as they were on Elm Hill Pike approaching Fessler's Lane. Unnamed witnesses told police that they saw a car matching the description stop at the intersection of Elm Hill Pike and Spence Lane. And this account matches where Gurley later, he and his attorney 
they actually went and got him out of the hospital. He was in like a yellow robe and uh, <laughs> went with his attorney and the police and he took them over there to show them where it happened. And during that trip, Powell said the man jumped in the car at the intersection of Elm Hill and Spence. Okay. And that Powell then continued on driving to Massman Road where he made a U-turn to get back to the dealership with the assailant having jumped out of the car somewhere in between. And police found glass that matched the car, matched what was broken out of the car, around 800 feet from the Elm Hill-Massman intersection that uh-huh. matched what was broken out in the car. So that's probably closer to correct. I'm not sure that any of that matters a great deal, except that it's odd that Powell initially said they were approaching Fessler's Lane. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing you'd get wrong. I I feel like you'd remember. I know things get kind of crazy in a moment like that, but I feel like you'd kind of remember where you were. Well, not only that, they work right there. Yeah. Like, they clearly would be familiar with all those roads. Yeah, I mean, they go to lunch around there, and so... And all that's pretty close. I'm pretty familiar with that part of town. Yeah, and and I'm going to kind of, like give an explanation on it for our listeners but i mean i'll leave it up to y'all to look it up on the map if you like but just if you want to kind of sketch it out in your mind if you're looking at a map elm hill pike runs east to west so that's your horizontal line and that's the road they were probably driving on mm-hmm. um and then fessler's lane spence lane and massman road each intersect elm hill running north to south so down on the west end of it, you've got Fessler's Lane intersecting mm-hmm. Elm Hill. And then you drive east on Elm Hill Pike for 1.2 miles, you hit Spence Lane intersecting it. And then if you continue on east from Spence Lane, still on Elm Hill, for another 0.6 miles, so a little more than half a mile, you reach Massman Road. So it's all pretty close together, but with, with Fessler's Lane being at a little bit further off. Yeah. So it just seems to me like Fessler's Lane doesn't really fit well. Mm-hmm. But I want to move on from that because it makes my head spin and it's a visual detail and this is a podcast. Fair enough. So let's talk about a couple of suspects that were brought up. Suspects. Suspects. The first suspect <laughs> That was, was good. Was it? Awesome. Mm-hmm. The first suspect was Leonzo Perry, a 27-year-old custodian at Hickman School. Perry was taken into custody and questioned on this case because he matched Powell's description, which was actually pretty minimal. Um, He had already been picked up on assault and battery charges previously filed by his wife. So, yeah, he was probably kind of a dig. Perry... Denied involvement in the murder and said he was working at the school when the crime occurred. And his alibi was confirmed and ballistics tests showed that the bullets that killed Gurley didn't come from the gun he owned. So he was ruled out. So still a dick for pushing his wife around, but not not our killer. Next. Now we'll move on to Gerald James Wingard who was ID'd by Powell in a lineup. 19-year-old Wingard told police that he was at a Job Corps training center in California from April 22nd to June 1st, meaning he was across the country when the murder happened. 
And Job Corps was able to look in their records and confirm this. He hadn't left at all during that time. Wingard found his way onto police radar when he was arrested August 31st and charged with the murder of East Nashville grocer James Holt. One Tennessean article said that, this is a quote, a police official said that two patrolmen had showed photographs of Wingard to Powell at his home before the lineup was set up. Supposedly, cops had gotten a tip that Wingard was involved in Gurley's murder, and they decided to, I guess, make that uh, lineup a slam dunk by fucking cheating it. Oh, God. crazy. Powell told reporters that Arnold Hendricks, the officer who had arrested Wingard on the East Nashville murder, and another officer came to his home and showed him a picture of Wingard, Powell also said the police told him they had witnesses who heard Wingard brag about Gurley's murder. Powell said that because the man in the photo had, quote, some similarities to the gunman in his case, he would come down to police headquarters to see a lineup. He told reporters that when he got there, Hendricks had more pictures of Wingard and said to Powell, this is the man. What? Yeah, this is not, this is not okay. Also, this kid was in California when it happened. Was what? Was in California when it happened. Wow. After the lineup, Powell was asked if he was certain that the man he identified was the gunman. He claims that he told the police that he wasn't certain, and one of them said, don't worry about that. We've already got this guy on one murder. What? He, He looks like a Sunday school teacher, but he's capable of doing it, in reference to Wingard. Oh, my God. Yeah, fucked up. According to Powell, he then asked if he could see a man who was suspected in another local murder. He had seen the man in the news and thought it was possible he might be the man who shot Gurley. He was then told that due to a court order, he couldn't be shown the man in question, which is actually true. Powell was not accompanied by his lawyer on this particular day, for whatever that might be worth. Powell never gave police a detailed description of the gunman, but just said that he would never forget the killer's eyes. Metro Patrol Officer Hendricks, this is the one who was being sketchy earlier, he reportedly told homicide detectives, we've already got this Negro on one count. Why not try him for two? Ugh. Yeah. And if I had to guess, it's probably not even the word he used. What a dick. A reporter overheard the comment and passed it on to a superior officer who reprimanded Hendricks. When the Tennessean asked Hendricks about it, he claimed the reporter misheard him. Hendricks told the paper, quote, What I actually said was, we already have this subject on one charge. Mr. Powell has picked him out of the lineup. We have eyewitnesses in the other case, and it appears he is going to be the one in this case, too. End quote. What? Nonsense. Total nonsense. There's a lot of conflicting information over whether Powell positively identified Wingard or if he wasn't 100% 100 certain. Powell claimed he told police that he was, quote, reasonably positive when he was given the lineup. In any case, it's all bullshit because Wingard had that alibi. He was not there. He didn't do it. He was in California. That's a long way away from Tennessee. It is, unless he can fucking astral project. If he's like, uh, what, Iron Man? 
Fry or The Flash or I don't know. Other superheroes that can travel quickly. Right. Through time and space. So are you saying The Doctor? I guess um, he's not a superhero. He's no. He's a superhero to me. I mean, Doc Brown. Sure. Bill and Ted. And Rufus. And so great shots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That's still like one of my favorites. Oh my God. You should like, like that should be your alias when you check into hotels. So great shots. So great Johnson. <laughs> Okay, where was I? Uh, Yeah, he wasn't the guy. He had an alibi. In March of 1969, Wingard told his attorneys that he was offered a bribe to admit to Gurley's murder. He said that he was approached in his cell the previous September by a man, quote, in jail clothing, and he was offered $1,000 to take responsibility for the shooting. And... So he volunteered for and was given a lie detector test about the bri- bribery allegation, but the results were inconclusive. So back to September of 1968, John Barros, a former business partner of William Powell, agreed to a polygraph exam after having turned over a pistol and bullets to police as potential evidence in the case. Police concluded that the gun wasn't the same brand used in the shooting, but that the bullets were similar to those used in the slaying. According to sources in the police department, Barros alleged that he found the bullets in a car that was brought to the car cleaning business he ran at the time. He told police the gun he handed over came to him after he received an anonymous call where he was told to put $150 in his mailbox Quote, if he wanted a pistol, end quote. What? Those were the words used in the paper. I'm not sure if this means that the caller was claiming it was the murder weapon or something else. Barrows complied <laughs> with the instructions. Like, why would you do that? Who? And the pistol was left in his mailbox. I mean, is that like a really good deal or something? I mean, I just feel like. $150? I feel like alarm bells would be going off. Why are you trying to sell me this gun? Well, who just calls someone up out of the blue and says, hey, buy this gun, have the money here midnight in the mailbox yeah like that is the that's a terrible business model okay if that's your way of selling guns bad it makes no sense none well uh yeah sorry (laughs) it's okay (laughs) in the week prior to barros's agreement to a polygraph he brought a $250,000 suit against Powell and two other local car dealers with the claim that they forced him out of his car cleaning business. Barrows had run one car cleaning center that the dealers used. Like, they, you know, all took the dealership cars and sure. the demo cars and everything. And they may have also been officers in his business as well i couldn't get a clear picture on that if they had some ownership but it it burned down oh and he bought another cleaning center 
and he claimed that he had been assured by Powell that he and the other defendants would use this new business. However, Barrows claimed that Powell later told him that he and a number of other dealers decided to operate their own cleaning center. This which, is getting really out of control. Yeah, there's there's a lot happening here. Barrows alleged that the auto dealers conspired to force him out of business, and I didn't find much more on him, so I'm just going to assume authorities determined he wasn't involved. I mean, he didn't, he didn't have a motive to kill Gurley, I guess. Seems like his issue was with Powell, unless it was like trying to kill Powell and it went wrong. But also, I assume he's not a black guy because... These guys don't seem to do business with anybody but Whitey McWhiterson, so I don't know. I just don't, I, I think that was craziness, but I don't think he's, I don't think he's the guy. Thanks to the lack of evidence, the attorney general felt like the case might remain unsolved. Massive rewards were offered, $5,000 from the Nashville Automobile Trade Association, another $5,000 from Capital Chevrolet, plus $2,000 from the city of Belmede. So, you know, in 1968 terms, that was some serious money. Nearly 10 months of investigation came and went, and on March 19, 1969, a grand jury of 10 men and three women was convened and charged with finding probable cause for a trial, if it existed, and to return an indictment, if so. 30 people would testify before this grand jury. Among those who testified were Mrs. Gurley, who said her husband told her the last time she saw him that it could be the happiest day of his life. So that's a bummer. And the medical examiner, who noted that the angles of the fatal shots suggested they came from behind Gurley and Powell, like from the back seat. On March 27th, the Davidson County Grand Jury indicted William Powell for the murder of his business partner. And the trial was set for July. Similar to her grand jury testimony, Mrs. Gorley testified at the trial that before leaving for work on the last day of his life, her husband kissed her and said, I have my boy where I want him. This is the happiest day of my life. Wow. Okay. Billy Gorley gave testimony that his dad stopped in to his office at the dealership that morning and told him, Bill Powell wants to take a ride and talk to me. I'll let you know what he said when I get back. The medical examiner gave testimony that Gurley had been shot at close range with one shot in between his left ear and mandible and exiting through the right side of his head. So I guess they count that as a shot to the neck. Um, There was another gunshot and it says here that it was in his shoulder and didn't exit. And, you know, they said two shots to the neck. So I'm guessing that was that neck shoulder area. So that would account for those. A third gunshot wound pierced his heart. And then there was a fourth bullet that the ME found on the hospital table. But it was determined that it had just it had pierced his clothes only. And I guess kind of rolled around in there until it fell out. 
In between various testimony, the attorney general told the judge, while the jury wasn't present, that the state could produce a witness who worked at Vanderbilt who would testify that Powell washed his hands prior to a paraffin test, even though she told him not to. Uh, The paraffin, of course, was used to test for gunshot residue on Powell's hands. So once the test was performed, naturally, the results were inconclusive, and then they just threw the paraffin out. The FBI tested hairs found on Gurley's coat, and they testified to finding Caucasian head and arm hairs, but no African-American hairs. Interesting. Powell also took the stand in his own defense. When he was asked about how he got along with Gurley, he said that they had a nice relationship and that there was, quote, never a crossword. What? And told the jury that Gurley was like a father to him. What? I mean, it sounds like that meeting they had the, what was it, the night before or two nights before Uh his killing was a little tense, but... Maybe that's just me. Now, the account that you gave of that, where did that come from? A testimony? Um, From what I was reading there, I put that together like a year ago, and that would have <laughs> been pulled out of contemporary news articles mm. at the time. Um, but there'll be a little bit more on that in some testimony. Oh, okay. In the book okay. I read, so I'll... Um, if there are any other details on that. I mean, there it didn't vary much from person to person because Mrs. Gurley testified about it. And I think Billy Gurley testified about it. And then William Powell testified about it. And okay. It, it all relatively went, you know, the, the same way. Oh, okay. I don't think there was like a screaming match, but it sounded tense to me. It sounded very tense. Powell also testified that he liked Billy Gurley and that they got along well. And he talked about the meeting he had with the Gurley family at their home. He said he, what he said about her, and this is when he's given his testimony, he said Mrs. Gurley was upset and crying and told him she thought he didn't like Billy. Okay. Weird. And he, he also said she did most of the talking. Okay. So I, I want to interject here and just say, Again, I think I kind of pointed this out at the beginning that I just never understood the whole thing about Powell not liking what the whole thing about Powell not liking Billy was about. Like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. There seemed to be some kind of an incident where Billy drove one of the demo cars home from the dealership one day and Powell admonished him for it because it was against company policy. But... I just don't know how that one thing could breed enough ill will to upset the whole business. He would be a very sensitive person. Yeah. If that I, it was the catalyst for that. And suddenly his mom's crying because you're <laughs> mean to him. You know. That just seems really extreme. It, it just it wasn't clear to me. Anyway. There was also testimony from a construction worker who had been working at a job site at Massman Drive in Elm Hill Pike at the time of the shooting. And he said he saw a car matching the one in question parked on Elm Hill Pike with two men inside. Just two. Mm-hmm. He heard gunshots and then saw the car drive away. But here's where... It gets interesting. He also testified that his boss had visited him twice at his home because he had since gotten injured on some other job. And so he was sort of laid up at home. And his boss 
visited him at his home and told him someone, quote, would be sorry, end quote, if Powell ended up in prison. The plot thickens. Yeah. So this boss in question here testified that he drove to this employee's home in a capital Chevrolet car with two attorneys from the firm representing Powell. But he said he was just going to protect his employee and that he wasn't taking a side between the Powells or the girlies. On his second visit to his employee, he went with a capital Chevrolet worker who told him his employee had conflicting stories about what he saw. And the boss said he wanted to let his employee know that he would be cross-examined, which was a problem if he was giving conflicting statements. He said he had never threatened his employee and had only advised him to tell the truth. I don't know. That sounds sketchy to me. Especially when he's riding over there with, you know, Capital Chevrolet people and the defendant's attorneys. So, the, uh, yeah. I, uh, the whole thing. It's just. Something's not right. It's not right at all, my friends. Shit I don't know why right. I busted into song, but it. Shauna's taking you to church. <laughs> I don't know about that, but. (laughs) So, okay, the next one, and I put this in scare quotes here, a retired crime director from Wisconsin. Like, what is a crime director? Do you direct crime? Do you make sure it goes to the right place? Yeah, I don't know. So this retired crime director from Wisconsin comes down and testifies that Powell couldn't have shot himself in the leg based on some kind of tiny particles of metal he found in the right sleeve of Powell's coat, which told him the gun was fired from, quote, behind to the right and above the wearer, which, I mean, without seeing that demonstration, I don't really understand. I just feel like metal particles in the right sleeve of his coat would indicate a gun being fired with his right hand, maybe towards his left calf i don't know so you think that he shot himself yeah i mean that's that's i think what they're going for here is that that he took him out there and killed i mean him usually and... they can get pretty close to figuring that out but i don't know like based on the wound and all that i don't yeah. know I mean, because that is awfully convenient that that's where you got shot. Right, right. Meanwhile, this other guy takes three or four bullets. Right. You're telling me that other guy, he just shot you once? So there were some authorities from Wisconsin that were brought in to testify that this retired crime director guy was incompetent. (laughs) And, in fact, they said they often sent evidence off to the FBI lab just to keep from having that guy work on it. So, you know, can you trust his testimony? Probably not. <laughs> Late in the trial, there was some interesting testimony from pro- uh, prosecution witness Robert O. Friendsley, Bob Friendsley Ford. No, oh, I like know that. him. I mean, not like... Personally. But, uh, yeah. 
He, at the time, he was a car dealer in Louisville, Kentucky, but he had worked as Powell's assistant at Capital Chevrolet prior to that. And he said that a, a pistol that police had found somewhere in the intervening time on Elm Hill Pike, this was like quite a while after the crime, he said that that was the same one that he had loaned to Powell. What? A few months prior to the murder. Uh-huh. testified that he came to see Powell in the hospital and asked about the gun, and Powell, who was groggy at the time, said he loaned it to a friend. Police asked Friendsley to come back to town and go in and talk to Powell again while he was still in the hospital, and this time Powell said the gun had been stolen from his car. So that's a very different story. Right. Friendsley paid a third visit to Powell after Powell had gone home from the hospital. And Friendsley told the court, quote, I asked him again about the pistol and he told me again it had been stolen out of his car and made a statement to the police that he never owned a pistol and he would just like to forget about it, end quote. Well, who wouldn't? So that's kind of weird. I mean, Powell didn't actually lie to the police because he didn't own the gun, but he wasn't exactly being truthful either. I mean, he didn't say, I don't own a gun, but I did have this one that my friend loaned me. (laughs) Like, what? And why didn't he report it stolen, you fucker? You're supposed to. It's just all convenient. Mm Mm-hmm. Mighty. Mighty, mighty. So, um... Testimony from an FBI expert said it was impossible to positively identify that pistol that the police had found as the one that killed Gurley because it had been outside for a while. I think it may have been in a creek, but there were three quarters of an inch in the barrel that had been rusted to the point that, you know, it was kind of corroded and it made a conclusive comparison impossible. However, the expert said... It could have been the murder weapon. There's that. It could have been. Powell returned to the stand and denied ever getting a gun from Friendsley. So it comes down to who you want to believe on that. And we're kind of, we're winding down the trial here. So here's some interesting maneuvering that went down. And this is, uh, I mean, this is sort of important to how things turned out. But mostly I just thought it was sneaky, sneaky. So the defense attorneys didn't think the state's case was very good. They didn't think it was all that strong. But they felt like if they made closing statements, those closing statements would have to be followed up by statements from the prosecutor. And this is an experienced prosecutor. And anybody around here is going to know this name. John J. Hooker Sr. Oh. And they felt like, you know, his emotional style and theatrics and skills there might flip the jury and make them convict. So Powell's attorneys told him that they thought they should skip making closing arguments because if they didn't make closing arguments, then Hooker couldn't do it either. And so they opted to go with that strategy. And guess what? It worked. It worked. On Saturday, August 2nd, 1969, the jury spent less than four hours deliberating and returned with a not guilty verdict. Also, they had been put up for, they were sequestered for, I think it was 22 days, at the jail? 
but I guess maybe oh. they had some better lodgings, I hope. Sure. Um, yeah, they were ready to get out of there. Sure. And, you know, I want to say, sort of as an aside here, I like, I my gut feeling is that he was guilty, but I couldn't have convicted either. There just wasn't enough, and it was too much conflicting yeah. information. So, eventually, Mrs. Gurley, along with a trustee for her late husband's estate, sold their stock in Capital Chevrolet to a group of six local businessmen and... So this made Powell the principal stockholder in the company and the president. Josephine Gurley died in March 2000, never knowing the truth. Powell had a lot of success running Capital Chevrolet, and it was later it was like Capital Chevrolet and Honda, I think. And yeah, that sounds about right. He owned the business until selling it in around 2002, and then he died in August 2010. Billy Gurley went on to own a dealership in Ashland City, and then later he managed another dealership at Rivergate Mall, after which he moved to North Carolina. And 50 years later, Haney Gurley's murder remains unsolved. Maybe, you know, depending on what your opinion is. But I had mentioned at the top. Um, Tell us what your grandpa called him. I don't know. Like, I don't know what circles he was running into this guy. And maybe it was just because of having car dealers in the family or or um, his brother working with Powell that's probably what it was but and my mom says she didn't know that he called him that to his face although I could imagine him doing it but he used to call him Killer Powell oh wow which it would be a lot funnier if you knew him and could just sort of like hear his voice but uh yeah that's what old Bullet Bob called him <laughs> so that is all that I have except I want to remind people again to please send us your paranormal stories. Your spooky occurrences. Your spooky occurrences. We love reading them. If there has been some X-Files shit in your life, put it into our life through our website, notrightpodcast.net slash contact. Yeah. Send that good shit over. And I don't care that it's September. Send it now. We'll start organizing we wanna prepare. these things. And We've got lots going on, but we want to hear your spooky stories. I want to get scared. I want to hear some really fucked up shit. For sure. Thank you to Justin from Mysterious Circumstances, Timmy Red, Audrey Arndt, Jessica Ashley, Kathy Lind, Janet Logan, and Vanessa Kors. You guys are awesome, and we love you. Bye. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.